Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannibal, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Foxley, that's a she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated movies from the bad ones through to the actually pretty goods. Through to the bad ones, Gan. I have no evidence whatsoever that the quality that I am currently enjoying is about to take a sharp nosedive. <laughs> And I refuse to consider the future or contemplate anything that may yet come. Hey, I'm good with that, because I had a great time watching this. This movie claps. We watched 2002's Treasure Planet. Did you almost forget the name of it? I almost said the wrong movie. Yeah. But before we can talk to you about what's in this movie and how we felt about it, we should instead start with The Plot in 60 Seconds. It's your turn. I don't have to do it. It is indeed my turn. So, you want to count me off? Ready for a pre-constructed essay? Here we go! Go! Jim Hawkins, an extremely G-rated troubled teen, dreams of adventure when it lands in his lap thanks to a dying buccaneer. A gang of pirates come to claim the dead body and treasure map from the dead man's body, sending Jim fleeing with his hot mother and his not-hot Fraser analog. Now destitute, they set out to retrieve the treasure from the map where Jim falls under the first person who he was warned about, the ship's cook Long John Silver. Then, abruptly, the seediest bunch of cutthroats, villains, and scoundrels that they have as a crew mutinies, claims the treasure map, and Jim and his friends have to work against the pirates to reclaim the ship and get the treasure, which culminates in the heartbreaking realization that he and Silver actually like each other and could not properly abide a betrayal. So Jim lets Silver escape on his own while Jim gets to go home with some treasure. This also all takes place in outer space, and everyone but Jim I mentioned is some variety of rad or weird alien. Mostly... Weird. Lots of weird. Some rad. Uh, so, as far as pre-existing relationships with this one go, I think this is a movie that first came into our lives on a DVD you bought. I... You know what? I don't remember. I feel like I wanted to go see this at a cinema, because this was another case of a very cute protagonist who looked even more like you than the last one. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, I don't remember seeing it at the time. Yeah, and we were... Uh, and this is the point in our lives when we were bubbling around in that unfortunate state of not really having employment opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is before we had the job where we moved out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't and, think we saw it till after that, though. And I think that, like, one of the first big purchases you made when we got a paycheck was, uh, amongst other things, some DVDs, and one of them was Treasure Planet. You could be right. It's when I got the GameCube, isn't it? Yeah, this is around this is around that period. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we didn't get. To, I don't think we got to see this one like at the time. But also, this movie is made out of a lot of feelings that I had at that time. So it does still feel like it slots in there. This movie's really good at being a teenager. Yeah. So uh, next up is the double take. What's some stuff about this movie that feels different to you now? Uh, broadly speaking, I feel the same way about this that I have previously. Uh, it is neither really lifted in my esteem nor lowered in my esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed one thing I hadn't noticed previously, which is I'm pretty sure that Jim is wearing his dad's coat. Yeah, I think so. Um, but he also just wears generally outsized clothing and... 
a lot of people have coats like that. So I don't know if that's a deliberate thing they did or uh, if it's just a coincidence that it looks the same. Now, as far as my previous relationship goes, I also read the book. Of course you did. And I also read the other version of the book. <laughs> and I've also watched a couple of different Treasure Island movies. It was a few versions. good, solid kids' adventure fun. And there was a period in my life where there was a live-action Treasure Island on the TV. I would watch it. Because a lot of studios made that public domain thing. <laughs> I saw, um... I saw some of a version of it once. Incredibly briefly. And I just, you know, bounced off of it. Yeah. Because uh, I wasn't really interested. And I think... We were on holiday at the time, so it was not, like, you know, sitting and watching something on a TV is not the thing you would choose to do. Yeah. Um, my takeaway of the double take, especially with that longer lens, um, it's a much more mournful movie than I remembered. Like, there is a criticism leveled against this movie, and I guess that'll come up later, that there is an adolescence to it, that it wasn't very good, that it wasn't very well liked, and... There were specific comparisons drawn to the fact that Jim is an adolescent, and this is a this is a teen boy movie being unhelpful and surly and sneery and and you know that whole thing. And that may be the case of how it reads to other people, but I feel like a lot of this movie is Jim grieving stuff that he doesn't have language for. This is a really sincere kind of movie. Uh, I'll talk more about it when we talk on the animation, but, mm. uh, you know, to give away my opinion of this up front, uh, it's definitely, like, it sits in the canon where it belongs in the era of weird Disney movies that are nothing like Disney movies. Uh, but much like last episode's Lilo and Stitch, I think this one succeeds because it uh, gets the emotional core of the movie right. And that's what I'm watching a Disney movie for. The other thing in the double take... I have a much worse impression of Jim's dad. <laughs> like, they don't show us a reasonable narrator's opinion of what happened. We get to see a child's reaction to something complicated, which is him seeing his mother upset and Jim's dad being gone. But at no point am I given the impression... That, as in the book, Jim's dad went away to see to support the family. Oh, was that what happened to him originally? This this was a common thing. This thing happened all the time. Sailors... Yeah, yeah. Sailors' wages were grotesque. Because you would go away for six months, and you would return, and you would be given a pound or, uh, of, like... Sorry, not a pound. And you'd be given a physical bag of money. And it was like, cool, you now need to make that last or do something with that or manage that. Or worse, keep it on yourself at all times. Or you just didn't come back. That is part of why <laughs> the problem of, yes, you might not come back. Um, and depending upon who you were working for or under what context, that could mean that you might have a job which essentially gave you these huge lump sums of cash that your family then had to live on in these lean periods. Um, this is how banking happened in Australia. Mary Ribey's husband <laughs> basically showed up every six months and went, here is 20 pounds. Invest as you will. And she did. And that's why she became rich. Um, this is... But in this, it's so hard to escape the feeling that 
this is a breakup we're seeing. We're seeing a, a, a husband leaving the family and doing it in a way and at a time that the that the child can see, but also not saying goodbye to that child. And like I've said before, I'm pro-divorce. I'm pro-ending relationships that aren't working. Absolutely. But not this way. Don't <laughs> do it this way, dude. I think you're right in, like, you, you say what it feels like we're looking at. And I think you nailed that because we're not, like, this story has a lot of trappings of the Age of Sail as cosmetics. Mm. But it's very, very not. And its sensibilities yes. are 2002. So it's very clear that the context of this relationship is is not an actual sailor's lot in life. This is this is extremely a breakup. I don't think that's ambiguous. I would even go a little further than that because I I know I give you grief for this stuff, but I want to say that this has a feeling that is in fact very nineteen nineties. <laughs> oh oh, how the tables have turned. The nineties were one of the first periods where the first wave of kids of no-fault divorce families were being coming of age and indeed getting to make media. And that meant that there was a lot of stuff in our childhood in the 90s where you saw sitcoms and movies and kids stuff with just one parent. And in many cases, it was never explained or mentioned why there was one parent. You might sometimes get widow or widower parent but very often there was work where the other parent's absence was never explained and you were just left to assume. Whereas this is the first time that I, that like, that, whereas this has the feeling to me that they're like, no, this is a divorce. This is a real messy, horrible divorce. And the guy was glad to be out and didn't want to be part of Jim's life. And this is like five years after when we should have been doing this is when we first show it. And the whole movie is contextualized as a kid with not just like the absence of a father figure, but with a wound where the father figure should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kids can do fine without a dad. That's not a necessary component. But a kid who has a parent abandon them is a different story. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a part of this movie that adds an emotional layer of depth to what I did, I think, think fairly negatively of <laughs> when I was younger. Like, I did kind of have that period where I filed him as just, well, he's just a shitty teenager, ignoring that I was three years, maybe, away from being the same shitty teenager. <laughs> I <laughs> you do remember why I was interested in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think, like, I, I feel like the real takeaway from this is that maybe shitty teenagers usually have some kind of damage they're trying to resolve. Yeah. And instead of just going, well, teenagers are shit, aren't they? Yeah. You know, maybe they should get a cool movie and a song by the Goo Goo Dolls. And that opens up the product of its time <laughs> slash yike store. Because what could be more of its time <laughs> than 2002 Goo Goo Dolls? Sure, I should be angrier at this because it does the same thing as Tarzan does. <laughs> yes, it, it does. It, it, you know, it has the holes in it where musical numbers would go. Uh -huh. Instead of letting the characters sing, they had a pop songwriter make a song to express that character's feelings. Mm -hmm. I should be angrier at it. But uh, you know what else is extremely of its time? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. 
uh, David Hyde Pierce. Oh God, yeah, this was Frasier was still yeah had ended already. I don't care. It was still super popular. Yes. Yeah. Frasier is one of those weird things millennials love, and I don't get it. <laughs> it's it's watching two of the worst people be the worst people at one another and never suffer as much as they should deserve. <laughs> the only way Frasier works as a series is if it culminates with both of them being dragged to the fucking guillotine. I, I don't like that series, and it's friends for people who think that they are slightly smarter than Friends fans. <laughs> oh, shots fired! Alright, we're just gonna cruise straight on by that. Uh, what else is extremely of its time? Jim's whole look. Uh, yep. His, his little undercut with the floppy top and the little rat tail uh, and his one earring. <laughs> Fuck, he's cute. Jim... And his oversized fucking olive green, not quite old army wear. <laughs> I love everything about this character. Jim... And his little scar. <laughs> Jim is a skateboard slash surfer slash pirate slash truant slash rebel. I know, I should. <laughs> he should be insufferable, but I really like this kid. Maybe it's just because his anger feels so justified. Yeah, like he's got a good reason to be pissed. I I mean, I don't have a hard time identifying with teenagers who are pissed off at society in the first place. I'm a little pissed off at society myself, and I'm pushing 40. Uh, and, oh, hey, you know what? There's a double take for you. The first time I saw this, I was not on the old cops and bastards train. Yeah. <laughs> old cops and bastards, even fucking robot cops, who should be programmed to maybe not make fun of a teenager. Yeah. Is that part of your fucking job? Well, I mean, they're meant to be cops, so yes. Is that yes. what they teach you at the fucking academy? I guess it might be. Also, the... Would you let me drive bickering back and forth between Delbert and oh, the captain? Oh, yeah, we'll get to fucking Delbert and... It's... Mm. That, that whole thing is extremely a product of its time in that late 90s dude who is nowhere near good enough for the woman he is elected to be a love interest for. What if we had a woman who is snappy and hyper-competent, uh, and in a moment of weakness, you, helpless, ridiculous man, were the rock she was looking for. Yeah. And now, you're in love forever. Yeah, it, it's it's a dreadful set of tropes. Um, and, and it gives, like, it, it's funny because it's born out of the whole action movie star gets hot babe kind of narrative and then saying wait no that's not fair that's terrible that sets an unreasonable standard what if every useless dude could get the hot babe <laughs> well and it's also lip service to the idea of like you no know, you look see our, our girl character we're totally feminist in our depiction of women she's good at everything and she's sassy and doesn't take shit from no man, and doesn't need no man, but she chooses to have a man, because she wants a man. This man. And the fact that it's because he asserted himself over her, uh, that's got nothing to do with it. Uh, yeah, I think I think at that point you're talking about the general trope structure, because I don't really feel like he asserted himself oh, as I much as- I am extremely talking about the general trope structure. Yeah, in this one he just fell ass backwards into it and didn't have to do any effort, which is the other kind of problem. Uh, he does get stroppy with her when she's injured. Okay, He, like, fair. bosses her around. Yep. And that is a turning point in the relationship. Yep. 
And the, and the thing is, that's also a very reasonable thing for him to be doing. Yeah. It's no. super weird that she then becomes, well, I, I see he is now an adequate mate. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's not, it's never, it, it's always subtle. That's why it shits me off so much. It's, it's just a double dip on like, look, we can do a strong feminist character and use the same tired shitty romance tropes. Mm-hmm. And, bonus, you don't have to feel bad about being a bubbling man-child, because we, we got that onto him as well. <sighs> well, not man-child, but well, a bubbling, thing, yeah. ineffectual male. He he is extremely frustrating to me because I can see his outline and I like a lot of stuff about it. Yeah. Like, he is an academic. He is thoughtful. He doesn't like kids. He is engaged with the idea of adventure. He has his own wants and his own inner life. It's not just the the cutout of him. And and indeed, he's not, you know, he doesn't save the day by suddenly turning into someone else. There's so much stuff about him that's honestly executed pretty well. But why does he get the girl? He he doesn't need that for this character to be good fun, good friend, good character. I like that he's honest. Um, like right at the beginning when he wants to do the treasure hunt as much as Jim <laughs> and, and Sarah is very like, you know, is this cause you want to go? Is this cause it's the right thing to do or is cause you want to go? And he's very upfront about yes, it. Yes. That's really good. And I love the moment of sincere distress he has when the emergency is going on and he is, uh, you can't help anybody with a doctorate. Mm. That's like... That was this tiny moment of, like, raw, actual fucking feeling out of this character. And I loved that for the three seconds that it existed. And then he pretty much went back to being comic relief. And not good comic relief. Like, he's not funny. He's he's a bumbling character. He's David Hyde Pierce. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a reason to pre-hate David Hyde Pierce. But he I brings a Fraser. stock character. Fraser? Fraser? I don't care. I didn't watch that show. He is, a, he is a stock character. It's a wrong. single yeah. performance by an actor who is apparently very good at it, and you will get it every time you ask him to deliver it, and it will have exactly the same emotional resonance, which is to say, part of me wants to see Madame Guillotine raise her hand high. <laughs> anyway, point is that the Yikes door and the product of its time, as we're getting closer and closer to what we consider modern sensibilities, is less likely to start throwing out stuff that makes you actively <laughs> go, what the fuck? And... Indeed, we're going to have some of those moments going forward in other movies. It's just, it's, it's easier at looking like what we consider normal. I, there's a product of its time right there. The fact that this is a Disney film with an absent parent who is not dead. I don't think we've ever seen that. Oh, yes. Might be the first Disney that acknowledges that parents can, that, that families can be broken by something other than a tragic act of deadness. Also, as far as product of its time goes, we see a lot of people die in this movie. That's true, yeah. You can argue that we don't see them die, we just see them drift into space, at which point I would point out that seeing someone plunge under the waves and never come back is also seeing them die. Oh, they're super dead. Okay. Um, We see one character get sucked into a black hole. Um, We see one character just float off into space, but, like, I mean, he's... We know what happens to people who float off into space once they leave the magical keep-you-alive field. Yeah, he goes under. That's, uh, that's the waves. And we see a bunch of people fall into the core of a molten planet that's about to explode. So, like, don't tell me they're not fucking dead. And a couple of people fall out of the ship at planet fall height. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Um, uh, but, I mean, I guess it didn't, like, that didn't seem weird to me after Atlantis. Yeah, true. So many fucking people died in Atlantis like it was nothing. They went out like... <laughs> they went out like bitches. <laughs> and they were acknowledged. They had a memorial. Anyway. Well, that's true. Well, Mr. Arrow got a brief eulogy that I think yeah. a sailor would appreciate. Oh, sorry. This spacer. You know what? That's something that I don't think works super well about this and is very of its time. The mm. space lingo is a bit... <sighs> yeah. Most, most sci-fi or... Fictional slang runs the risk of being extremely cringe. So. Yeah. Anyway. I wouldn't say this is extremely cringe for the most part. It's just a bit like, hmm, you could have just said the normal word for that. And because we're looking right at it, we would know what you meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't have to slap on made up alien word in front of it. Or, you know, put an R in Drabloon <laughs> to pretend like it wasn't pirate treasure. Oh, it's pirate treasure, but it's different space pirate treasure. <laughs> just... <laughs> Just a bit unnecessary. Don't mind solar sails, though, because that suggests... That's a real thing. The the Well, and I, I assume the real thing as it exists in our world is not as depicted in this. But it, like, it becomes a self-explanatory thing at that point. You hear it, you're close enough to the idea of what it might do that you're like, yeah, alright, whatever, this works for me. This, yeah. is, this is fine. Bonus, it was a hypothetical thing when this movie got made, and we've made them now. Oh, they were only hypothetical, that's cool. That so said, who can blame them for not getting it accurate? It's fine. <laughs> that said, I think that's all I got for the product of its time slash yikes door. Yeah, we're probably about done with that. Moving on to animation and making. We've already talked about a lot of voices. <laughs> Everybody, open the floor for Musker and Clements. Woo! Our boys are back in town. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that this is apparently like the pet project they wanted yes! to make since they started working at Disney and like <laughs> Little Mermaid was was payment up front for the right to work on this. They pitched this at the meeting that resulted in Oliver and Company. Wow. Oh yeah, we talked about it, didn't <laughs> we? We did. Yeah. Imagine being Oliver and Company instead. There were three movies pitched in that meeting that were... Hans Christian Anderson's Little Mermaid, Oliver and Company, but with... Sorry, Hans Christian Anderson's Little Mermaid, Oliver, Oliver Twist, but with dogs, and Treasure Planet in Space. <laughs> and it took them 20 fucking years. On the other hand, I guess I should be glad, because if this had come out uh, at the very tail end of the 80s, as opposed to the very beginning of the 2000s, it would have been atrocious. <laughs> okay, imagine... The the amount of of his timeness that Jim Hawkins' design has in this movie. Oh yeah. Now take that same amount of Oz, of his timeness if he was the human lead of of a movie made during Oliver and Company. He'd look like the fucking Burger King Burger King Club kid. He'd look like Dippy Fresh. <laughs> well, I don't think you're wrong. I don't have an I don't have so little faith in the way that those two people in particular <laughs> roll their dice. You saw what the human character in Oliver and Company looked like. She looked like a chipette. No, she looked like all the chipettes. She looked like all the chipettes. <laughs> you are the one who made this observation of that horrid homunculus. Yes, you're right. But my point is, I don't know. I don't know if Treasure Planet would be better if it had been made in the 80s. I'm confident that it wouldn't be. Also, they wouldn't have had Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who does a fucking great job here. Yes. Man, that kid can make it sound like his voice is just about losing it. 
Yes, so, uh, onto the voice talent, I guess. I guess he's not a kid anymore at this point. He's, like, in his 20s. Early about. 20s, I think. He'd just come off Third Rock. Yeah, I, I, I don't know but about that yet. Yeah. He, he is, I think, slightly younger or the same age as me. Anyway, he's killing it here. He's great. I love it. Uh, he sells this character so well, and that's probably why... Well, that's probably a big part of why... I don't just find him an annoying teenager. I find him a really sincere damaged boy I want to hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voice cast on this one is pretty much all bangers. There's no real surprises in this one. <sighs> Who else do I remember? Emma Stone. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Right. Yes. Emma Stone's very uh, big difference. Dignified. Martin Short from SNL is Benjamin, which, you know. Oh, uh, hang on. Yes. Benjamin. Ben, the robot. Oh, is he called Benjamin? Yep. That's wild. His he, he is his a, name is an acronym in this. Yes. His Why name, would it be Benjamin? His name is B-E-N. That's a bioengineered, bioelectric navigator. And he has a full J-A-M-I-N <laughs> acronym after that. That <laughs> they just never mentioned. All right, cool. Why not? It's fully explored in the expanded materials box. <laughs> what, the GBA game? We will get to the video games. Oh, 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 you're a badass here. Uh, we have David I. Pierce as Dr. Delbert Doppler, and I'm just going to give Fox a moment to vent. <laughs> I, what? He sucks. That's, that's all there is to it. It's not David I. Pierce's fault. He's doing exactly what they had him there for. I just would have liked him to be someone else entirely, maybe someone who was enjoyable. Now, as far as Long John Silver goes, I have been mistaken about something about this character for a long time. I was going to ask uh, who he is, because I don't... I couldn't tell you his voice, and I'm not sure I've ever heard him in anything else, mm-hmm. or if he's even, like, a voice actor by trade. Um, he does a killer Welsh, which is great as an alternative to just do the pirate voice. And this is where I think my mistake is, because I don't think it's Welsh. Right? I think he's doing his natural accent, which is South African. What? Wow, okay. Brian Murray is the voice actor for John Silver. He is a TV star. He's been in a bunch of British stuff, a lot of TV in the 60s. He was, like, in, in your in your Avengers and your, you know, The Saint, that kind of, you know, hour-long TV show for adults that everyone loved kind of stuff. Um, he was, he, he did a bunch of stuff where he was villains or associates or rogues in cop shows and whatnot. Um, and... I thought for the longest time that his is just a Welsh accent because that's what it sounded like to me. But now, reading that he was South African, I'm like, I'm not so sure anymore. That really doesn't sound like a South African accent to me. But I, nor I mean, to me. I'm not that familiar with it. Yeah. I never would have guessed. Like he it doesn't sound incredibly Welsh. He doesn't sound like the parody of a South African accent no, sure, I'm used to. But like, so I don't know. And again, he might be doing a Welsh accent and absolutely killing it to the point where I don't even recognize the subtleties. Either way. I don't know. He just, he sounds so much like your grandma. That's the thing. He really does sound like yeah. my grandma. Absolutely baller role. Great at this. Like, there there are a lot of different people who have taken on the role of John Silver. And this is one of the best ones. I was going to call him out too on the same level as Joseph Gordon-Levitt because that this movie lives and dies on on Jim and Silver, right? Uh-huh. I don't know if that's the case with the story as a rule, 
or if it's got a lot more going on, because this is the only version I fully experienced. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in the, the grand thesis, I guess. But um, the the performances of these two, uh, and I include the animation Yeah. Uh, with that, is so good. <laughs> it's so good. And, and Brian Murray absolutely sells a genuinely complex version of of Lovejoy. Like, he's really sympathetic. Yes. This guy is a right bastard, but you like him, and you feel very sorry for him. As a child, Long John Silver was one of the first really complex characters I ever dealt with. Ah, so that is how he's supposed to be in the original yes. material. In, in fact, they hit a lot of the beats really closely here, complete with starts out as an affable oh i don't i'm just gonna glad hand the people who are in charge of the boat oh no i have this boy i now have to deal with well i'll keep him busy with bullshit wait he's taking to that reasonably well i'm kind of fond of the kid then jim witnessing the meeting with the mutineers in a barrel that like it's down to he was in a barrel yeah and then the subsequent um the way the story plays out after that point is pretty much beat for beat exactly the same. The Even to the point where in the book you have Silver rowing off away from the ship to to fate unknown. I did assume that would that would be the original ending too, yeah. With a little bit of treasure. Yeah, um, really good work on a character that I think of very fondly. Alright, who else have we got who deserves a mention? Oh, Mr. Arrow. Yes, well, you've heard this name before, Roscoe Lee Brown. We've talked about him before on in another movie. I can't remember which one. But Oliver I re- and Company again. Oh God, who was he in that? Francis. Ah, the bulldog. Right, right, yeah. Roscoe Lee Brown was a famous and important African-American actor who was renowned for his resistance to classically black roles. And did a lot of fighting to get to be able to represent different kinds of black character. No kidding. He's so British uh-huh. in this, you would never guess. Yep. I That's kind of neat. I kind of want to see him be like detritus or something now. Hmm. Laurie Metcalf as uh, Sarah Hawkins, which is a voice you're not necessarily going to know from anything, but every voice actor being someone's mum is probably copying Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen her in some live action thing. Like I yeah, know yeah. that name, despite the fact that I. She has done some live action stuff, but nothing that I looked at and went, "Oh, Fox would know that." Ah, fair enough. We, I, I thought we had a welker. We don't. Ah, uh, boo. Uh, Dane Davis was Morph, and just just a nice little touch in that in the original story, Morph is. He'd be a parrot, surely. He's Silver's parrot. Yeah. Named Flint. Ah, I see. Yeah, like it's. It, again, this is a mystery story. Sorry, this is <clears throat> again. This is a story for little kids. So when you first encounter Silver and he's got like all of these warning signs blaring off him, and he turns out to be a nice guy, it's like very complicated for my poor little heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. All right. So the only other voice I'd be curious about is uh, Croup. Yes, Scroop is a guy. Oh, sorry, Scroop. Yeah, uh, Scroop is a guy by the name of Michael Wincott who unfortunately isn't going to leap out at you in a name range, but you've heard him in a lot of stuff as one-off villains, goons, and thugs, Ah. usually a second-in-command, because you've heard how he sounds. (laughs) 
So being yeah, being entirely typecast here. Yes, but Doing also a great job, though. very good at it. I love when they first bring Scroop into it, and like you've seen a couple of aliens who are kind of threatening looking. And, you know, the point of this scene is to put you at unease, and then they just bring him in from the top, and you're like, oh, oh, hi. And then the three not really credited characters. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. One of these is the one from the beginning, isn't it? Where I was like, hang on, is it? No, it is. It's totally him. Yeah. Okay, so this is Tony J. Yes, Tony J is the narrator of the book. He, um... This wasn't the last thing he did. No. No, okay. That'd be kind of sad, honestly. <laughs> well, I, the last thing I can remember him doing is WoW, which is a lot sadder. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but well, yes. He'll always have Frollo. Yes. And uh, Monsieur Dark, who, you know, is a simple character bit, but really good in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that was the, yeah. All right. But there are two other characters who get as close to no lines as possible who are nonetheless very noteworthy <laughs> voice actors. Do you remember Billy Bones? Yeah, yeah, no, Billy Bones is like a cameo. Of, yes, like, he someone is. Someone who's, uh, they're just here for funsies. Does the name Patrick McGowan ring any bells for you? No, okay I feel it like doesn't. it should. Have you ever heard of The Prisoner? Yes. Yes, Patrick McGowan is The Prisoner. Okay. He is the main character of this iconic, weird 60s sci-fi TV show. Oh, that's not what I was thinking of at all. No. Uh, McGowan is also a guy who was at one point tapped to play James Bond. Uh And he refused to. Because James Bond, he felt, was a bad example. (laughs) Get him! Yeah! Be Billy Bones instead. He seems like an upstanding citizen. (laughs) Yeah, Patrick McGowan uh, also was in an episode of Columbo. So he's, he's like very much someone who I'm like, oh, 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 it's him, it's him. <laughs> but we have a bigger, oh, 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 it's him in this. We have a bigger name in voice acting who gets even less of a line. Is it, uh, is it the copper of us? No, no, they, they practically get banter. Is the fart guy? <sighs> Flint? Oh, yeah, Flint gets a line or two. Well, he gets growling and stuff. He sees and growls. Yeah. It's Peter Cullen. <laughs> what were you even doing? You were just you were just in the same recording studio going to a different gig, weren't you, Peter? Weren't you? That's what was going on here. For the listener, Fox, what's something Peter Cullen's known for? <laughs> well, well uh, Megatron, obviously. <laughs> not, not that guy. I mean, he does. Yeah. Oh, God, no, there is a version of I ruined my own joke. Yeah, right. Okay, he's Optimus Prime. Yeah, he's several Optimus Primes. He is the iconic Optimus Prime, and Optimus everyone. Optimus Prime. Uh, Optimai Prime. <laughs> Prime Optimusen. <laughs> the real thing is that even when he's not playing Optimus Prime, everyone who's voice acting Optimus Prime is going, "Okay, gotta live up to that." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, except that one time. Yeah. So, yeah, the voice acting for this movie just randomly dots in for, like, one shouted snarl, one of the most important voice actors of the 80s. <laughs> and uh, this was going to be part of a big franchise. This was going to be a thing. There was an MMO in development. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would like to see that. I don't really know how you would have made it work, but, you know, whatever. Uh, well, the... We have a whole design diary for it if you want to go read it. <laughs> it is 
heartbreaking and sad because it includes such things as let's model real world shipping. So <laughs> you could play a character whose only job was to be part of a crew of a ship that was going back and forth and you would do chores on your ship. You'd log in, you'd do your chores, you'd go to bed. And they they concepted EVE Online for 10-year-olds before <laughs> I, EVE Online was a thing. Problem is, I don't think you're going to get a lot of 10-year-olds who are... Like, don't get me wrong, the 10-year-olds who do want to play EVE Online, they're going to be so happy that someone thinks they're normal. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I feel like there's a reason that one got canned. Yeah. It, it, it's a super interesting uh, story about how that game didn't get made and the difficulties it had and what it was like designing an MMO targeted at youths when dial-up was your predominant access. <laughs> so you like we can't expect kids to be able to play for hours and hours and end. We want a game that they can play in 20-minute bursts and still get a satisfying experience out of it. So they also concepted mobile games, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and had this whole, whole oh, line boy. of conversation in the design diary about, oh, and how do we do this in a non-predatory way? Because if we do things in a predatory way, we're going to get new legislation passed to stop getting kids, you know, exploited by internet companies. Because this is 2002! Yeah. Um, there was also a sequel already in the works. Wow. Before this movie came out. That's kind of a surprise for this era. Jim Hawkins was going to acquire a love interest who was named, depending upon how you, who you believe, Kate or Iron Kate. Uh, who well, I hope it was the second one. Was going to be his classmate at Royal Interstellar Academy, and they were going to team up with Long John Silver to stop the villainous Iron Beard from freeing the inmates of the Botany Bay prison asteroid. Hey! And Iron Beard was going to be played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he'd do it. Uh, the whole thing got cancelled after the first week yeah. of uh, Treasure Planet sales. I mean, it didn't do well, which I feel it deserved better than a cop, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, yeah, so there's there's all the notes I have for the animation and making. Uh, what else do I think about the animation here? The CG is not integrated, really. Like, this is yeah. the first one where they just made the CG look like CG and didn't make any apologies for it. A thing I quite like about it is largely they don't put them side by side. Mostly, the shots are the characters have the same background of stars, but you'll see hand-drawn people milling around <laughs> on a deck and then a cut to a wide shot with the same background of a 3D version of the boat, which, uh, like, it, it, it's less elegant, but also I appreciate the sort of admitted kind of like, well, we can't pull this off yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right sometimes, but then you've also, like, various interiors of the ship yeah. are, are obviously renders. And um, Ben covered in cables is very clearly a 3D model. Ben is extremely 3D model at all times. I yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any hand animation that's gone into him. A bunch um, of the shots of Silver's arm and leg. Yeah, he's incredibly CG. I mean, in most cases they use their CG smartly. Like, if there are bits of you that are a robot, then you can make that CG, and it, it, the fact that it looks weirdly robotic isn't weird for some reason. Uh -huh. Who can say? It's a mystery. Uh, and then, you know, they use it for the, the sails on the ship and the space whales and the fucking lots of the space station stuff. They use it in tons of places, but yeah, most of it 
is in stuff that doesn't detract from the hand-drawn stuff, but sort of complements it and offsets it in a lot of cases, like with the robot characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's a good use of obvious CG. So, I have a grand thesis. And that thesis is that I, talently, person who's done the fucking readings, and watcher of many Treasure Islands, believe it is my place, my right, my privilege to juxtapose for you uh-huh. the two most important Treasure Islands of my lifetime. Shall I see if I can predict what those two are? Or would you like to reveal that yourself? I, I'm hoping one of them is this movie. Yes. <laughs> and I'm assuming the other one involves Muppets. Yes, it's Muppet Treasure Island. And I think with six years between them and, you know, roughly comparable presence in the cultural zeitgeist and inexplicably close numbers on Rotten Tomatoes because... <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is made by idiots, I guess. I assume this has to be because both movies are great. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. They, bo- they both have nice scores. <laughs> but I have broken down these movies into a range of categories in which I will be assigning a prize based on which one is the best. Oh, okay. First category, music. Wow. <laughs> Look. Sorry, Disney. <laughs> I, I like the song. I really do. I, I have a cover of the the song from Treasure Planet by a woman named Anna Pansu. Uh, in Popular my, YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, in my MP3 rollout. It is a great song. It is an enormously good song for a 17-year-old boy coming of age or a 39-year-old man still feeling like a 17-year-old boy. It is an absolute banger and it is non-diegetic. It isn't a musical and it doesn't really edify this movie the way that the musical elements of Muppet Treasure Island improve that. I would have loved to see this be a musical. Yeah. I know I say that about every uh, Disney movie from this era, but like this one in particular, wouldn't he have loved to hear a Long John Silver song? I bet he could have sung a cool pirate song. You know for a fact that Disney make killer musicals. So every time they make a movie that's not a musical... It's not just, oh, this movie is fine. It's also, and this fine thing is replacing what could have been a fucking banger. And yeah, you're right. Uh, which, which neatly say, well, the Muppet Treasure Island songs are largely just there for comedy. There are um, two genuine, sincere songs in it, and they are fine. Um, one of them is a love song between Smollett and Miss Piggy, which, y- you know... <laughs> Love found us here is a lovely sentiment. I, I don't mind it. It's just, you know, it's it's the it's in the bottom half of the songs from that. But also the songs in Muppet Treasure Island are there to enable the comedy. And they are very consistently very funny. Also, um, like some of them are just there for having a good time. Yes. Like I wouldn't say Shiver My Timbers is a no. comedy song necessarily. No. It's just a banger. Yeah, and, and it is a good mood-setting piece. It does the job of what your song wants to do in a musical. It sets up the final scene, and it gives you that that weighty moment. So, for this, the award goes to the Muppet Treasure Island. Also, uh, as much as I, I do think that uh, I'm Still Here is is a good song, uh, I don't think the, the extremely Goo Goo Dolls uh, <laughs> rock instrumentation uh, does it 
uh, any favors. Like, it doesn't feel in place in the movie, which has an otherwise very Disney-ish orchestral soundtrack. Yeah. And then they literally have just invited the Goo Goo Dolls in to play a song like they would play normally. I yeah. Think it's probably not the whole band. I think it's just the one it's just, guy. That... It's just John Resnick, yeah. But his is clearly the sound of the Goo Goo Dolls, because I have never heard a more Goo Goo Dolls sounding song than this. Exactly. Complete with the very... They have, like, a very light touch. They love their treble. They they love the main melody on guitar. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Uh, it's nothing wrong with it in a vacuum. Uh, it's just a little jarring in the movie. Uh, I Well, it, they put the pop cover of the the hero's main song into the song, into the movie instead of the hero singing it. Yeah. It's a bummer. Our second category is action and adventure. Ooh. All right, come on. Come on, Treasure Planet. You can do this. Now, one could point to the fact that the science fiction elements in Treasure Planet allow for some truly just breathtakingly good applications of stuff inside the Disney formula. You have phaser guns, so you don't have to deal with the problem of representing real guns. You don't have the action sequences interrupted by everyone reloading, and you don't have the reliance on bloody close combat. But at the same time, this is a movie where you could see Jim stab Silver in the leg yeah. and run. They used they used the fact that they had alien and robot and amorphous blob characters to do some fairly brutal stuff without having it actually be, you mm-hmm. know, gory or horrible. Jim Hawkins kills a man with intention in this movie. He does. On the other hand, in the Muppet Treasure Island, there is a sequence where Kermit the Frog, a puppet, somersaults in a sword fight with Long John Silver. So I was awarding the point to the Muppet Treasure Island. No, no, come on. I, mm. All right, you better give me a good fucking reason that a movie with a guy fucking snowboard airdrop diving on a rocket skateboard isn't better action than a puppet. All right, but we're coming back to that. Right. Category three, John Silver's. The Muppet Treasure Island's John Silver is Tim Curry. Ah, look. Point to Muppet Treasure Island. Finally, completely unnecessary transphobic joke that jerks me completely out of the movie and makes me forever, ever unhappy with it. Well, there's none of that in Treasure Planet, so the point here goes to Muppet Treasure Island. So Treasure Planet wins and is the better movie. I I question your scoring. (laughs) The action in this movie absolutely kills. It's so good. Yeah, I'm sorry, no amount of Kermit somersaults is going to be better than fucking our main character fucking air snowboard surfing out of the sky on a rocket skateboard. And drop, and, 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 sorry, and Spark starting his thing in the last 17 seconds with a timer that's played fair. That was a good ending. Yes. That was a really good ending. Right, and of course leading both our sympathetic lead characters as they turn out to be to the ultimate admission that the thing they thought they needed was just to stand in for the thing that they really needed. Yeah. Which was love. Which was love. (gasps) It's so beautiful, Talon. The real treasures, the friends we made along the way, and also these fistfuls of gold I kept in my pockets. (laughs) Which is a brilliant, you know, note for Silver (laughs) to go out on. It's so good. I don't know why they put him in the clouds afterwards. It's like he fucking died. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was a little bit on the nose. Extremely Mufasa energy. And by the way, the sort of thing that he would say if he came out of the clouds at you are, like, deeply worrying. <laughs> I choose to believe that that glint was just the, like, molten gold core of that planet <laughs> that now exists fused into a solid lump floating through space. Uh-huh. And that was just some sunlight glinting off of it. Because, I mean, it's not like that gold just goes away, right? No, it's still there. It's in the universe somewhere. Yeah, it's all melted down. In fact, it's actually slightly more convenient as raw material now because, like, (laughs) it didn't have any inherent value as currency. A whole bunch of those coins are from countries that you can't spend it. Like, oh, yes, see, this coin here is a thribloon from the planet of Abaxia. Cool, that's the other side of the galaxy. I don't fucking care. I'm not going there. I can't spend it. <laughs> Plus, they've had 12 revolutions since then. Yes. Anyway. Well, so who ever heard of a planet with only one currency anyway? That's a bit weird. Anyway, so with that, I have uh, uh, drawn a curtain on my ridiculous little farce of a central <laughs> thesis. I really like both of those movies, but I think this is the better movie. And as much as Tim Curry eating the walls as Long John Silver <laughs> is just untouchable, this is the overall better action movie, better adventure movie, and, you know, I wish I could have gotten both of them at the same time. <laughs> I wish I could have gotten a better version of this. Well, see, there's the thing. This is a better action movie. This is a better adventure movie. Uh, Marvel Treasure Island is definitely a better comedy movie. Yeah. Because the comedy is what doesn't work in this movie. Oh, yeah. S- some bits it's, are funny. It's fine. I don't hate Ben as much as I would expect to hate Ben. Maybe it's just because he's not around for that long. Yeah, and also, when I was younger, I definitely regarded him as an annoying trope, and now I'm like, oh, no, this is just a thing that, for example, real people do. And struggling with your memory is something that I now, as a 39-year-old, find a little more sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> I have, like, just enough time to get annoyed at him before he brings up the fact that his, he, he is brain damaged in robot terms. Yeah. And, like, at that point, you sort of have to be like, ah, okay. Tiny, tiny thing I really liked, when the chip got brought back to him, the cables connected it. Like, the cables grabbed the chip and pulled it back in, because I was like, I think I'm going to show him, like, ramming it in place, but, but they've got those loose cables. Those loose cables aren't going to connect, and that's going to that's gonna bother me a tiny bit, and then they don't do that. They thought ahead of me. <laughs> it's funny, because I remembered how that scene goes. For some reason, I remembered it very clearly. Possibly because when I first saw it, I was like, why did the fucking cables jump out and grab it like <laughs> they were snakes or some shit? What is that? Isn't that how cables work? You'd have it slide in on a pin system, which mm-hmm. is exactly what they've drawn in there, even. Yeah, yeah. What are the cables even for? I was... It's annoying. Or what you're meant to do is you meant to plug the cables in and then fold them in when you're sliding the circuit into place. Yeah, but that would just make it more annoying to put in. So you would avoid that design if you could, right? You don't want to yep. have to fuck about with bits that don't fit into the available space very well. Hey, hey Fox, do you think we're in whatever land right now? <laughs> Okay, I want to quickly recap what I was wanted oh, to, wanting to talk about as a main thesis. Because I think we sort of have dealt with it. I was mostly going to ask you about this by comparison to the nature of the original story. Oh, yes. So like I said, this is the first version that I've seen. And I was astonished to find out that it's like this weird father-son bonding thing where they get attached to each other. Because mm. I had this, I thought this was just a straight-up movie about pirates where a little boy gets accidentally caught up on a pirate quest and, you know, escapes with his life somehow. Uh, I did not assume it would be a fairly complex story 
uh, about someone being a pirate, but not necessarily a bad person. But not really a good person yeah. either. And maybe just the man you needed to be your new dad, Jim Hawkins. Yeah, and, and the moral arc during this during the actual narrative of the movie, where he definitely starts out as a complete bastard, lying to everyone, and then slowly comes around to having a shine to Jim. Which changes context a lot, depending upon the when and how. Uh, in the earliest versions of the story, I remember the impression I had of Jim was he's somewhere between 8 and 10. Like, he's quite young. Yeah, he's definitely a little kid in the original. Jim Hawkins in the Muppet Treasure Island is like 12? Is he, um... Uh, what's Kermit's nephew's name? No, he's a human. He's a human? Oh, okay. Yeah, which, like, good. They shouldn't have tried to have, um, they shouldn't have tried to have a Muppet carry that. That's fine. I guess not. And in this, he's, like, pointedly, like, 16. I'd rather have a Muppet carry it than have a child carry it. This is a, this is bringing us back to Fox's point that every child actor she (laughs) ever sees, she's like, I could have done a better job than that. But I'm also not very fond of puppets, so yeah. You know, there you go. Even Muppets, who like are pure and good-hearted children of wonder, um, Muppets just, outrank children. I get it. They're just not cartoons. Yep. Anyway, on the other hand, oh, yeah, you know, on that note, the child acting in this is back to being <laughs> garbage after we praised Lilo so highly in the last episode. Yep. I'm glad we don't see. I'm glad we don't hear much from Baby Jim because he is just the. Uh, I am my perfect will boy child. So, one detail from the books that I thought this movie covered, but like, this is one of the problems when you've seen a, a story from the canon of, like, your culture so many times that you don't even bother analysing all the moments in it. Um, in the original book, Silver was Flint's quartermaster. Ah. He, he talks about, I'm owed this treasure, but they never make it explicit. Yeah, I wondered about that. Like, he obviously has some kind of connection to this, but, Mm -hmm. uh, like, I asked you when it came up, wait, did they actually say that he knew Mm. Flint? uh, I thought, like, it's it's made obvious that he spent his life chasing the treasure, but it's also ambiguous as to how long ago any of the Flint stuff happened. So I had always assumed that that's all it was. Yeah. Uh, Flint, in the original story... Got a whole bunch of uh, of the pirates to come onto the island with him to bury the treasure, and then killed all of them, and then went back to the ship. Ah, is old Ben supposed to be dead, perhaps? Like he was left for dead, but he was just horribly injured? My memory is that Ben is on the island because he'd gone mad after seeing the massacre. Ah, okay. But also, now I would actually have to go and get a copy of Treasure Island to check. I was imagining that the original version of that was he specifically took the one guy with him to bury the treasure and then abandoned him on the island, you know, uh, locking the pyramid builder into the tomb style. But yours is much more brutal. Depending upon when you ask, Flint is a remarkable bastard. Like, we talk about things that are upsetting in kids' books. My memory of Flint is that he was an absolute monster in a way that not many fictional characters got to be. Um, And impressively so. Like, the original story is very much non-sanitized pirates. And indeed, being the quartermaster is a big deal. Um, If you go into The Invisible Hook, a book about the economics of uh, piracy, one of the things is everyone on the ship gets an equal share of the loot. The captain gets 
uh, one and a half shares, and the Quartermaster and Doctor both get one and a quarter shares. So, like, Quartermaster and and, uh, and, and Captain are pretty close to being equal roles on yeah. the on the vessel. And, and so the character of Silver as this old, injured pirate who has this chip on his shoulder, who is also known to pirates as having worked for one of the scariest men, he's a lot more just inherently menacing. In the Mother Treasure Island, they play on a scene where the pirates try to give Long John Silver the black spot. They basically say, we've decided you're next. You need to die. You've led us astray. Fuck you. And in The Lapper Treasure Island, Tim Curry hams it up and makes them all scared of him and they all, you know, apologize. In the book that I remember, they try and hand him the black spot and he stands there knowing what they're about to do and waits for one of them to have the courage to hand it to him. And there's this tense moment and then they don't. That's a good bit. Like, no one's willing to be the one guy. Yeah, and, like, this guy has one leg, and he's been shot recently, and we're still pretty frightened of him. Anyway, I weirdly, I like this story a lot. It's, you know, I don't recommend anyone go back and read the original. It's not <laughs> that good, but... You'd be surprised to find out that you're into complicated stories about fatherhood. Yeah. I, who would have guessed? Yep. Anyway, uh... Uh, all this stuff I was... Oh, right. Um, that's the other thing. Um, are... Uh, is there still the captain and Mr. Arrow in the original? Yes. Or is it... There... Okay. I assume the captain is not a woman or a captain. No, no. He's he's Captain Anthony Smollett. Um, Delbert is two guys. But otherwise, broadly speaking, everyone here is represented one for one. Uh, complete with the character of Scroop. Oh, the Doctor. Yes. Right, right, yeah, okay. Ah, so there, there were two, uh, two other normies. Yeah, who were basically a pair of bumbling dad figures, one of whom was very academically informed, the other who was just kind of an idiot in general, who were both his advisors who traveled around with Jim to make sure he wasn't out on his own, but neither of them were in any way good at their jobs, and he wound up becoming John Silver's surrogate son, so, yeah. Um, but yes, Arrow and the fact that Arrow... Arrow is the thing impeding the mutiny because he's so good at yeah. keeping an eye on everything and he's so scary is one of the things because Smollett is painted at being a little bit feckless. Uh, one point they do bring in that I quite like from the books is that the crew sucks, but the crew was chosen by the financier of the voyage, which was the two uncles of Jim or in the Muppet Treasure Island version um, Mr. Bimble, the thing that lives in Fozzie Bear's finger, or or Delbert in this case. Oh, there are Muppets I've never met. Yeah, it's it's a it is a genuinely nice touch that what happened is someone went down to the docks and hired a crew based on what money they had, and then hired a captain. And the thing is, a captain is someone who has to be good at their job. <laughs> and there's there's a line in the movie where she refers to the, like. That point where she calls them little galoots or something like that? Something like that. This is in every consistent version. I I always remember there are different <laughs> lines for it, but every time Smollett just shit talks the crew the second they get into private. It's great. And it makes a lot of sense. Like these are storytelling beats which facilitate the 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 plot. 
extremely yeah. well. So why would you jettison such a useful idea? Yeah. Look, at this point, I think we have staggered through multiple grand theses and at least one <laughs> joke. All right, all right. Yep, no, I just wanted to run those few details by you. Mm -hmm. uh, having no familiarity with the source material. I a, a point from the books I love that they do keep in this is that Jim is warned by Billy Bones as, like, the last important thing of, like, don't trust the one-legged man, or don't trust Silver, or don't trust the cyborg. And in every single one, it's like, next scene. Oh, hello, I'm your lovable one-legged silver and uh, silver-named cyborg man, and I'm here to be your dad. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't see any problem with this. <laughs> Actually, you know what, there's, there's my final book question. Because uh, in this gym immediately, like, the very first thing he does is go, Huh, you're a cyborg, I am sus of you. Is it you? Is it you he was talking about? Is it you? Yes. Okay. Jim, like, practically says, By the way, when I was given the treasure map, I was warned about a man named Long John Silver who had one leg and a beard just like yours and a birthmark on his hip <laughs> and that particular style of hair and your accent. Oh, Jimmy lad, you'll find that there's a lot of people with a birthmark on the hip <laughs> and this kind of hair and this kind of beard and one leg and one arm and this bank code detail and this <laughs> accent and it's all just a very understandable mistake. Well, sir, I have no perspective on the world outside my own tiny bubble, so I'm going to take everything you say as being written law. After all, the captain told me to obey you. Yeah, it, I see it's... our original gym is a lot more gormless. Oh yeah, not a single gorm. Right. <laughs> I, I, I like this gym. <laughs> anyway, I say, Captain, is that whatever land dead ahead? I guess it probably is. I have very little here. Um, let's see. Ah, uh, gets right on my tits that that Jim appears to be a cop at the end of the movie. I choose to believe he's not, and it's just a school uniform. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we know from the sequel that was planned that it was going to be a school uniform. He was going to be going to the academy to be a uh, ship's pilot. Ship's pilot, okay, I can deal with that. It's only because they have the cop robot showing back in, it always read as... Yeah. And she, the name she gives to... I, I assume it's the place that the captain says she'll refer him to, but that itself is ambiguous enough. It, she doesn't specify, like, pilot's academy. Mm -hmm. Said the royal... Naval Academy? Interstellar, I think. Interstellar Naval Academy? The Royal Interstellar Academy. Okay, well, there you go. That's that's ambiguous enough that it could be a cop school. Anyway, I'm glad to find out it's not. Also, I'm sure he's going to grow the hair back. Did you catch the name of the boat? I did, and now I've forgotten it. In the original book, it's the HMS Hispaniola. Uh-huh. In this, it's the RLS Legacy. RLS is Robert Louis Stevenson. Of course it is. So that's a nice touch. Um, oh, everything else has been covered. <laughs> uh, Montresor. <laughs> the area they start? Uh, yes. Um, it's a mangling of the location in England. Okay. Um, it's like Montrose Point or something like that. I'm not... I can't pull that geography off the top of my head. I should be able to, but I can't. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was just checking. Yeah. Like, if that had been a real place, you'd just been like, no, it's Thing. It's, it's just the same name. I'd have to be like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> but, uh, yes. I was... I kept looking for a sight gag when they were flipping through the portal doors, and I didn't see one. There's a reference to Dune. To Dune. Ah, okay, that'll do, I guess. Is that the one with the worm? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
there did you notice uh the man i really like the pacing in this movie that's another thing that i yeah think it gets rips right. along uh but i was gonna say did you notice in the scene like just after we've settled in and we we've gotten used to our new dad and we're feeling good about ourselves and we just might be able to make something of ourselves and then we have to deal with the fact that we believe we killed a man <laughs> did you notice what jim's doing afterwards when silver catches up with him for the inspirational talk no He's sitting in the... Oh, God. What does the captain call it earlier? <laughs> in that piece of rigging that he yeah. likes to hang out in. But he's holding a little piece of rope. He's practicing knots. Oh. But not in, like, a paying attention to it way. In, like, a fidget spinner kind of way. Like, it's a nervous tick. And that is such a good detail to have left subtle and not drawn attention to. Like, they don't do a close-up on his hands or anything. He's just doing it if you're paying attention. I love what that communicates. Yeah, there's no, ah, Jim lad, are you focusing on the ropes because of the man you just killed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we don't even, we don't need a sad mu music sting and we don't need to hold on it to make sure that we've got the point. It's just a detail that's there if you're looking for it. Um, which is what... All of the animation on Jim and Silver is like, really. They are so fucking expressive. Yeah. You can tell Silver was a shitload of fun to animate. Because, like, he's also a big fat guy. Mm. And, like, not a big fat guy used for comedy, which is so fucking refreshing. He's kind of a badass. Do you remember that Milk Carl wanted to animate the big expressive characters? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like could... Captain Hook? Yeah. The... The amount of face rubberiness you get to do with Silver is nothing like the other characters who have to look kind of human-y. I guess Doppler gets a bit of it, but he also sucks. And, like, by comparison, the animation on the Captain is very, like, you know, tight and snappy and weightless, but also just really kind of boring and not very appealing. Like, well, yeah, because she needs to be the very limited band of hot. Yeah, but she's not. She has this weird squished face. I remember people bitching about this at the time, saying she looked like an anime cat girl, and I can only assume they never watched anime because she looks nothing like an anime cat girl. Yeah, you're gonna have to let four. Th you're gonna yes, Fox. You're gonna have to let two thousand and two forum arguments go. <laughs> I look two thousand and two is late enough that you should have seen a fucking anime by now. <laughs> It's the way of the world. Just, you know, take your first one and you'll be, you'll have a resistance to the rest of them. But yes, I would not have mistaken Amelia Smollett no. for Nuku Nuku at any point. No. And like, I, I don't care for the choices they made with her. I get what they were going for, I think. She's supposed to be really sharp and smart and, and, you know, move like a whip. She's meant to be Emma Thompson. She's, She's meant to move like how Emma Thompson sounds. Efficient movement. Yes. That's it. She's supposed to not waste energy. But they just, they lock down her facial details and her features and everything so tight. Yeah. That she doesn't express what she needs to express to be a likable character. And it just kind of ruins her for the most part, I think. Uh, on the other hand, there is a shitload of good... Uh, like, over-the-top animation that goes into Silver's face, and a shitload of really good subtle animation that goes into Jim's face. And that shit really works. Uh, we're in whatever land, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Alright. 
All right, that's the end of it. I really should have front-loaded that into the making section, but since we're at the end here, this is where it goes now. Look, honestly, I think... Hi there, this is a message from psychically editing this talent. I think at some point, <laughs> I gave up trying to make this a clean edit, and this is just what we get. Look at it this way, Talon. We've been on an adventure through unknown lands, and the map that we normally use didn't work, so we had to chart our own course. Our own course through capitalism. All right, but Fox, budget, up or down? Uh, yep. Definitely up. <laughs> this. Well, I mean, we already heard about Lilo and Stitch's budget issues last week, so it's. I would say it's up, up, up. Uh, this is going to be the most expensive one we've had in a while, I think. Budget of 140 million. Yep. Those are Tarzan numbers. That's a clencher. Which is to say, about double Lilo and Stitch? Yeah. Now, I think it's less than Emperor's New Groove, but Emperor's New Groove got remade like twice. So that's yeah, a, it's... That's a weird outlier. But yeah, that's, that's right up there with them. Oh, they got burned so bad on this. What do you reckon about the take? Up or down over Lilo and Stitch? Ah, uh, down. <laughs> this was an easy one. Um, how much down? I, I'm gonna, like, spitball this at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, did, what was Lilo and Stitch? It was like two and a half or three? 270 million. 270, right, yeah, yeah. So I, that, that's that's between two and a half and three. I was, yeah, yeah. I zeroed it in. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if this got to 200. I... Possib- quite probably not. I think it's below 200 million. Yes, it is below 200 million. It's this... not below 100 million, is it? This million brought 109 million. Oh, under budget? Yes. Oh, man, okay. I realize that this wasn't for everyone, and it's definitely weird Disney doesn't feel like Disney. But it's better than that. It so, deserves better than that. Let's Let's give you some critical feedback and reactions at the time. Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars out of four, and he felt that a more traditional take on the story would have been more exciting and less gimmicky. Yeah. And you probably couldn't also have had Jim stab him in the leg. Yeah, that's true. A.O. Scott of the New York Times described the film as less an act of homage than a clumsy and cynical bit of piracy. No, no, you're cynical. But this is the thing. The critics dumped on this movie, and the movie didn't do very well. So critics would like to imagine, well, that's why. We, we were right. <laughs> so let's just put an extra bit of context here. <clears throat> Treasure Planet grossed 12 million on its debut weekend, which ranked it fourth behind Die Another Day, The Santa Claus 2, and Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. Oh Christ. Okay, I, you didn't see the face I was making at the point where you got to Santa Claus 2, where I was like, oh, oh is this in fact the bad list? But then, holy fuck, I mean. G- Boy Wizard's boring movie definitely made all the fucking money. And if you were going to a family movie with your kids around Christmas, yeah, and it's Disney's own movie, uh, yeah, it, that's not a good environment to have your opening weekend. But maybe no, the hang on, year wait, you're saying Harry Potter was a Disney movie. No, no Santa okay. Claus Two was a Disney movie. Oh, okay. So you, your oh, family it would have bu- opened in. On Christmas in the US. Okay, yeah. yeah this enough. this movie came out at Christmas. And if you were going to a movie with your family at Christmas, you have Harry Potter and the Everyone is Seeing It and an extremely Christmassy Disney movie with Tim Allen in it, who a lot of people are very fond of. Mm, that's, that's a sequel to a well-loved movie. I'm just like... 
I wouldn't go pay me to go see a sequel to Santa Claus. You couldn't pay me to go see Santa Claus, but I'm not the target audience. And the thing is, Santa Claus was successful enough that there's a Santa Claus three. So I don't really think me sitting here going, "Ooh, well, I wouldn't go to see Santa Claus two matters to this discussion. The point is that Disney dropped this movie on a weekend where it got absolutely brutalized by the industry leader at that point yeah. for family movies. And then also by their own other movie. Yeah, that's a bit rude. I suspect Wizard Movie would have been at the perfect place to really eat its lunch too, because it skews younger. Yes. But it was still very popular with teenagers, because they were the people who were already familiar with it from when they were target audience age. Yep. And they were like, hey, I, I waited like maybe three or four years, and this thing's getting to be a huge movie now. Cool, cool, cool. But so, yeah, I see why this would have gotten a bit shit canned by comparison. That's not all, because what else can bolster a movie's overall budget and makings? Why it's a big nomination at a big event. Oh, this didn't get any nominations, did it? This got nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards. Uh, I feel like that's a token at this point. A category it lost to Studio Ghibli's Spirited Away. I mean, that's gonna happen. Which means to say... <laughs> This movie got an extra chance to go back into the cycle of movie theaters and get another round of attention. Did it? And people went, oh, wow, Spirited Away. Man, we should totally watch that. That movie looks like it rules. People re-release movies for the Oscars? Successful, successful enough. Being a successful enough movie at the Oscar period can lead to you getting a second round of attention. Huh. It's not mm. a thing that happens anymore. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I'm not in sync with any kind of award cycle. And this is back when distribution still lagged in Australia significantly. Yeah. So it wouldn't have meant anything to me at the time anyway. But. Every movie that got... Every movie that gets an Academy Award nomination gets a bump at that point. Like, people are like, oh, it's on the Academy Award list. I'll go watch it. Whether it's at that point in rental or home video or trailing in theaters. Which is indeed one of the reasons why they try and make those movies that they think should uh, get awards close come out time. near the Oscar time so they can even capitalize on that with movie tickets. Makes sense. But yeah, so this movie had to compete with Harry Potter in the just raw get butts in seats category. And if you're an animation dork, yeah. and they were like, hey, here's the best animated movies this year and you have to look at Treasure Planet next to Spirited Away. I know I saw Spirited Away before I saw <laughs> Treasure Planet. I think I did too. And like, to be clear, it's not my favorite Ghibli. Not <laughs> by a long shot. No. I, it's, it's definitely good, but I've not gone out of my way to watch it a bunch of times or anything. But I do think that if we were sitting here without the knowledge of when they were released and asked to arrange a whole bunch of different animated movies into a tier list, whatever tier Spirited Away is, <laughs> it's probably a higher one than Treasure Planet. It's, uh, it's definitely a better Disney movie than Treasure Planet is. Ooh, you're not wrong. Well, nobody sings, I guess. Oh, wait, no, they even have a musical number. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, there's your... Well, it's sad. I kind of knew it was the case. It still sucks. And this still definitely deserved better. And... There are for sure a bunch of people who were teenagers when this came out who, like, this left a hook and, you know, they fan out of this for their entire careers or something. Yep. Uh, I see why this is the one they wanted to make into an MMO. Like, there's a lot of space in this world that you could have a good time with. Yeah. 
and they have things like customizing your own boat and even things like getting to customize a boat with friends so you all voted on what kind of things the boat would have cool like i know it should be saying ship but i know you called it eve online but what i'm really thinking is sea of thieves for 10 year olds yeah (laughs) so yeah that's treasure planet well like i said at the start at this point the movies i enjoy are here and we are on a non-stop crest uphill so i have no reason to believe that anything after this point gets worse um yeah um about that uh how did you like pokemon hunters kind of didn't really. no reason no reason <laughs> uh how did you like emperor's new groove i kind of didn't really oh uh, no worries no worries uh it's probably still fine uh what do you think if we kind of just like took both of those movies and we smooshed them in together. Well, I mean, I mean, look, it could be good. It could be good? Okay, okay, okay. I, I, I think I can seal the deal for you. Okay, I think I can make it work. All right, we're, 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 we're still too cowardly to make another musical. But I tell you what, Phil said he'd come back. 